Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. When peace like a Gospel reading this morning from, comes from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, speaking of Jesus. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and, gen and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Amen. God. Have you ever watched a group of crabs trying to get out of a bucket? You know, if there's only one crab there, it's easy. He climbs up, he gets up, and he's, he's gone. 
But if you've got more than one crab in the bucket, that one crab that's kind of aggressive, he'll climb, start to climb out, and just as he gets to the edge of the bucket, just as he's ready to make it to freedom, and just as his claws and his feet are ready to get over the top edge of the bucket, one of his so-called friends reaches up, grabs him, and pulls him back down into the bucket. So he has to start all over. Crabbers know they don't need to keep a lid on a bucket once they get that second crab in there. It doesn't just happen to the one poor crab. All the crabs pull down their fellows, including the fellow who almost made it to freedom a couple minutes ago. Even though he's back down in there, he's not going to let any other crab get out. He's as bad as the crab who was on the bottom of the pile. And so, I say, the experienced crabbers know they don't need a lid once they get that second crab in the bucket because the crabs will take care of it themselves. They'll keep any of the crabs from escaping their doom and they'll all end up in boiling water together. In the same way, have you noticed that people do the same thing to each other? The kid who knows the answers in elementary school is, seen, is soon troubled by the other kids at recess. The young adult who solves the problems and works hardest at the job is told by the older workers, slow down, slow down. And the high school student who excels at math is insulted by the other students and told by the English and history teachers that they couldn't do math, so it really isn't that important. The college student who studies on Friday nights doesn't ever get drunk, avoids romance, is told, relax, enjoy yourself by the other students and the second-rate professors. The mother who has well-behaved kids and a clean house is excluded from the mother's gossip group after school. The teacher with high morals is never invited to lunch with the other teachers. And the young nurse practitioner who's really studied hard and got to that high level while young She's not invited to join the practical nurses, the older practical nurses to gossip, and the top sergeant isn't asked to share a beer with the recruits. Why? Because the person who has a firm grip on what's required in school and in life, the person who understands more about things, the person who sets good priorities and understands that life is short, so we need to make the most of it, these people are an in-your-face reminder of the harsh realities of life. And most people don't like to face that they have left the path of success, that they've wandered off the path of holiness, that they have perhaps chosen not to live up to what God and the requirements of success ask, us, ask of us. Simply put, people who have self-discipline are annoying to us because we don't have self-discipline. But you know, it's not just the leaders that we hold back. We hold back the students and the adults who are middle of the road or even a little bit back behind. We say to them, well, you know, you, you got, I know you've, you've had a rough time here, so we're not going to have you work in the hardest classes. I know that you're, you, you had trouble with that job early on, so we're going to give you the simple tasks to work on here. We're not going to pull you along where you, can, where you have to work hard and come from 
being a middle of the road to being a leader, we're going to let you stay there. It's a subtle way of pulling those crabs back into the bucket. And even we do it even to ourselves. There are people who say, I'm just not as smart. I'm just not as hardworking. I'm just not as good as others. And we come up with all sorts of reasons why we can't. And you know, when you say you can't, you're right. We pull ourselves back into the bucket. But Jesus didn't do that. It's, today we're going to see how Jesus had that tremendous self-discipline that led him to the cross and beyond and the spirit that drove him past the limits of human endurance. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, his ministry was focused upon healing people and performing supernatural services. He healed people of chronic disabilities and diseases. He drove out demons, taught about the kingdom of God. One night he calmed a storm on the lake. He raised a dead girl one day and he sent the twelve out two by two to do the very same things. And soon he fed the 5,000 and then he walked on water with Pete, and had Peter walk on water. And he called the Pharisees hypocrites. And then he fed another 4,000 people. Jesus had a firm grasp of Scripture. Maybe this was because in his alter ego as the Holy Spirit, Jesus had inspired the writing of Scripture. Or perhaps it was just because he had God's wisdom and intelligence and memory, because after all, he was God walking on the earth. Whatever the reason, Jesus' teaching was always perfectly aligned with the real meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. And so when Jesus one day asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus changed his ministry. Peter and the others had graduated from part one. They had seen past the human part of Jesus to the divine substance that Jesus carried. They'd recognized who he was. And so it was time to move on to the next phase of Jesus' ministry. And after asking the disciples not to repeat that he was the Messiah to anyone, he began to teach them about how he would have to suffer and be rejected by the powers that ruled Israel, and be killed and rise again after three days. And you know it was all too much for Peter. Peter thought that Jesus was being far too pessimistic. Peter thought he might even be suicidal. So Peter pulled him aside, and Peter began to chew out Jesus. Peter told Jesus that this suffering and death must not happen, and it would not happen. But what Peter didn't realize was that Jesus, who was always the smartest kid in the class, and the hardest working worker, and the man who truly had all the answers, he wasn't depressed. But instead he was realistic and prophetic about what was coming and what was going to happen after the death the resurrection, and the, the saving of billions of people. He wanted his disciples to be ready too. For Jesus, he, see, he was looking forward to what was beyond the cross. Jesus was the good man. He was the best man ever. 
Jesus was not only God walking on the earth, but Jesus was deep down the best man. And so even the leading disciple, Peter, Simon Peter, he wanted to pull Jesus back like the crabs in the bucket pull down the fastest and the most intelligent and energetic crab. They pull him back into the bucket. Peter wanted to pull Jesus back into the bucket. He'd recognize the greatness of Jesus, but Peter also didn't want Jesus to get too far ahead of Peter. Peter had not yet seen the possibilities that Jesus had known and seen from before time began. Peter would have denied trying to hold Jesus back, but that was what the big disciple was doing through his comments. He was offering an off-ramp for Jesus from a future that Jesus recognized was going to be very difficult for Jesus, but necessary for the benefit of all people. You know, we often don't recognize the human nature of Jesus, the human part of Jesus that carries the Son of God. For our body, you see, our body, our physical body exerts a tremendous control over everything that we humans desire. The body tells us when we need rest, and the body tells us when we need food, and the body tells us when we're thirsty, and the body tells us when we crave the gentle touch of a spouse. The body tells us also, and this is important, the body tells us also when we should leave and walk away from stressful, dangerous situations. And most people, Paul calls them the natural man, most people naturally listen closely to their bodies and, li and really do what the body says. We listen closely to our bodies. But the difference between the natural man and the person who has the divine nature, whether that nature comes from being the son of God or whether we, have, we who have within us the Holy Spirit that arrived in us at our baptism, either way, we have the, the divine nature. That difference between the natural man and the person with the divine nature is that the divine nature, the Holy Spirit, can completely override the desires and the fears of the body. Let me be clear, though. You know, a, a strong, disciplined mind can order the body to carry on past normal endurance because we deeply understand what's fatal and what's merely unpleasant. Like a long distance runner can continue to run over 20 miles to finish a marathon race. The self-discipline and the strength of mind required for this doesn't suddenly transform though, doesn't, won't transform an overweight couch potato into someone who steps off the couch and runs the marathon later today. Now, human self-discipline can take us from being a couch potato to the person who, after two weeks, can walk around the block without getting winded. And that self-discipline can take us, after two months, to someone who can run a mile. And after a year, to being someone who can run five miles and, after a couple years, can start and finish that marathon. That's what human self-discipline can do. Human self-discipline can train the body to lift 200 pounds and run marathons and walk across America in all weather. But there are limits to what human self-discipline can do. And it particularly concerns desire. A five foot seven inch older person like me, you know, cannot compete in the National Basketball League. 
even uh, basketball associate, even if I had 10 years of practice, because the human body has physical limitations, I will never be able to outjump a six foot five inch experienced young player guarding me. I'll just get stuffed. But you know, there's a difference between what the strong, self-disciplined mind can do with the body and what the divine nature can do to defeat the desires of the body as opposed to the physical limits of the body. While Jesus' divine nature was capable of ignoring the fear and the desire to run for cover from the cross, his body could not continue to live after losing so much blood, enduring such horrific beatings, and exhausting itself trying to stay alive on the cross. This was the human part of Jesus. And so Jesus died that day on the cross, but it was Jesus' divine spirit that first of all kept him in Jerusalem the night before when everything in his body was saying, leave town, run away because he knew he was going to be arrested and tortured and die. And then it was his divine nature that allowed him to come back alive. For you see, the spirit can overwhelm the desires of the body to run and hide and take the body to the end of its physical abilities. It's the spirit that allows someone to rescue someone from a freezing, frozen lake when the body says, stay safe, stay on the shore. It's the spirit that allows us to walk away from the chemicals that the body craves. It's the spirit that allows us to speak without fear to the man threatening us and our family. It's the spirit that gets us out of our chair and guides us to speak to that mean and nasty neighbor and show unselfish love instead of yell at them. It's the spirit that overrides our desires to send a flaming response to that posting on Facebook and instead leads us to pray for the soul of the writer. It's the spirit that guides us to be friendly with that person that so much reminds us of that bully from third grade. And it's the spirit that always can override the body's response to the world. And those of us who have the Holy Spirit, we simply need to listen more to the Holy Spirit for great things to happen because we listen. Jesus always has the answers. Indeed, Jesus always is the answer. Jesus would not be persuaded by Peter to walk away from the cross, even if Peter was the leading disciple and had the best rational arguments why he should not go there. For Jesus did not listen to his student and avoid the difficult things that the Spirit was asking of him. Instead, he listened to the Spirit. And so Jesus looked away from Peter and he said publicly to the other disciples, as well as Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, merely human concerns. When Sandra and I were over at Ruby Hospital a couple of weeks ago for Sandra's surgery, we could overhear a group of nurses talking. Now, there were only a couple of patients in the whole area, and there was little to do. So they were talking about very, very important things, like Punxsutawney Phil and French Creek Freddy those two groundhogs. One of the girls didn't know who they, who they were. They never had heard of them. And it was a good time for all of them. And 
from behind the curtain, Sondra and I were laughing at a couple of them, particularly when the subject then changed to the politics of the French Creek game farm where French Creek Freddie lives and how our U.S. senators had gotten involved in keeping the game farm open so we could still have French Creek Freddie. And the one who had never heard of the two groundhogs and said, I don't know anything about West Virginia politics. I've never heard of those two senators. I only know one senator, Joe Fetterman. He's the senator from Pennsylvania. And they laughed at her. It was a trivial conversation. Thankfully, the nurses didn't have to demonstrate their knowledge of the important things that day. But it reminded me of how so much of our lives are spent on trivial things. Have you noticed how so many people waste their time on trivial things? For example, the night of the Super Bowl, it seems like the broadcast always showed Taylor Swift's reaction to plays involving Kelsey or any other score as if that was what was important to the game. Of course, we could easily argue that the entire focus of the nation on a football game was kind of trivial. Jesus was upset at Peter because his mind was on whether or not Jesus would die in a few months. Now, we wouldn't think that was that trivial, but it was. Jesus' mind had always been on the cross and the nails he must endure. Jesus' mind was focused upon preventing the eternal death and suffering of billions of people throughout the centuries. To Jesus, the question of whether or not he would live or die that spring was trivial. For Jesus would have to carry his own cross, the burden upon which he exchanged his life at that time, for the eternal lives of billions of people. Getting to the cross was much more important then one man's life and whether he was going to live or die, except as it was to be exchanged for the lives of billions. A few weeks ago, Sandra and I watched a couple of the Mission Impossible movies. In one of them, Tom Cruise's character is forced to decide between the death of the woman he loves, saving her, and the potential death of millions of people which is what's going to happen if he devotes his time to saving her. It's going to be a painful choice, but to maintain his own character, his own integrity, his own sense of what is right, he'll have to make that choice. And everyone knows what his choice is going to have to be if he's going to remain a good man. He can protect his girl, dear to him, but he'll lose his soul because he could have saved millions. In our ordinary lives, we don't see that we have those sorts of decisions to make. We think we rarely have decisions to make that involve even one life. But after Jesus chewed out Peter, the Son of God turned to the crowd along with his disciples and taught them, as he teaches us today, that this isn't true that we rarely make life and death decisions. We make life and death decisions every day, Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Stop worrying about what things are going to do to your life, but worry about others. For, whatever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it, Jesus said. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here, Jesus is telling us that to follow Jesus, we need to pick up a heavy burden for other people and begin to walk with Jesus. We would naturally want to avoid our burden, our burden for other people's lives. But Jesus tells us that by saving our own life, to live our own life for ourselves, we'll actually lose our lives. Now that word life in that sentence could easily be translated as soul. But whoever loses their life for Jesus and for the gospel, you'll save it. We know deeply that this means much more than the question of trading our physical life for another person's physical life. That decision comes to very few of us. But the decision that we all must make daily is whether or not to do something enjoyable and trivial or to sit down with someone and spend our precious hours and days helping them to understand the love of Christ and what the gospel is. For each year of our life is composed of only 8,760 hours. And if we live 90 years, that's about 800,000 hours. How much of your life are you willing to give up for Jesus and the gospel? How many hours of your life are you willing to trade to help other people live eternally? For when we try to hoard our hours for ourselves, we'll one day face the divine judge who's going to ask us how we spent those hours. Sandra has an older friend named Ruth in Atlanta who's taken a couple hours a day from her life for the last 30 or 40 years, and she spent it teaching young women how to live as Christian women. She meets these young women through the group studies and women's meetings and the many other groups that she attends. And then after praying for guidance from the Holy Spirit, she invites those specific ones who need instruction in the things of God to come to her home for an hour a week for a few months. And then she moves on to the next young woman that she's guided to. Ruth has spent her life for Jesus and the gospel. And she's exchanged those hours for the eternal life of many. For those young women have gone on to be godly nurses and mothers and grandmothers and women who have even become pastors who have led many, many other people to Christ. Around Atlanta, whenever we lived there and we encountered a particularly godly nurse or a wonderful teacher or a strong Sunday school leader, we would begin conversation, and after a while, it would come out. The woman would say, yes, I'm one of Ruth's young women. Ruth carried that cross for young women so long, it stopped being a burden. But now it's become a joyful balloon lifting her up. Jesus referenced Satan, and even called Peter's comments satanic. For one of the tricks of Satan in this life is to discourage people from listening to the, to the Spirit's guidance, to pull other people back into the bucket. Another trick is to tell people that their praises of God and their biblical words and mentions of Jesus will cause trouble. And so we should keep our religion to ourselves. And once again, the crab is pulling us back into the bucket. But Jesus continued to speak to the people. He said, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus will be ashamed of us if we're ashamed of him. I often hear people say that they're showing the gospel through their lives, and that's great. But speaking the words of Jesus, whom the, the Apostle John points out is the very word of God, that speech is important too. For without our time and our words, most people today will not connect the dots between our niceness and our kindness and our patience and Jesus. For you see, those are the fruits of the Spirit. And those are things we only get by listening to the Spirit. After all, for most people though, some people are nice, some people aren't. People are just born that way. It's not true. It's the Holy Spirit living within Christians that gives us the fruit of the Spirit. So listen to the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you to the cross that you're to carry into the world, the people that you will have a burden for. And let the Spirit within you guide you from your comfortable, trivial things into the uncomfortable, important things so that you will live eternally and bring eternal life to many. Amen. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.